So welcome to CISO Talks. Today I'm joined by James Gopal. He's a cybersecurity and data privacy consultant. He's worked in cybersecurity law and he's been an advisor to the US House of Representatives as well as the University of South Florida. So let's get started. We're here today to talk about a couple of different things. We're here to talk about whether we think data privacy and whether boards understand data privacy and the importance of cybersecurity. And then further into it, we're also going to talk a bit more about this new version of uh, the US equivalent of GDPR, for want of a better term. And, and James is going to give me his opinions on this. So, James, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Aiden. Thank you. Or good afternoon. How are you? Oh, good. Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well indeed. Yeah. So one question for you. Do you think boards in general understand the risks of cybersecurity and data security in general? No, I don't. I, I, I think there's there have been big pushes over the last couple of years for boards to become more involved. It's typically has been treated as a uh, as something that the board um, approaches at, at best by talking to their technical teams. But in reality, you know, most of the time, the board really just doesn't get that involved. It's, it's an intimidating topic for a lot of folks. And we need a better way of communicating with them. Um, I, I think that the technical people really have been expecting the board to come to them and, and to learn the technology pieces. And what we really need is for the technical folks to understand the business side, too, and, and be able to broker a better communication that way. Yeah. So, so, so do you think it's, do you think that that's sort of more the fault of the boards or more the fault of the CISOs? <laughs> I think it, it actually falls both. For, for both. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It, it's um, the, the board doesn't know what to ask for, really. Uh, it, this is just something that's completely unfamiliar for them. So they, they don't know what to ask for. And the CISOs, by the, by the same token, most of them have come up through the technical ranks. And so the idea of understanding the business pieces just really doesn't, doesn't make as much sense for them. It's not, not the world that they're used to living in. So it, it's just a product of the times, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that there are ways of making that more real and making it so that it can actually happen in a, in a productive way. Yeah, so I suppose really what's got to happen, I suppose, from you know the CISOs have got to learn the language of the board. I mean, I think that that's really important, right? It's a little bit of both. So I, I agree with you completely that the CISOs need to understand the language of the board. It, it's understanding how the board sees the company, how do how do they define the what it is when they're talking to each other, how is it that they're communicating about the company, and then understanding how that maps to the underlying IT infrastructure. I had a good example the, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to somebody from a, uh, a healthcare company here in the U.S., and we were talking about their risk register. And we said, you know, the, the he said, I, I have 12 pieces of network equipment that are going out of uh, out of warranty or out of support, and I need my board to buy it, buy new ones, and they're not doing it. They're not prioritizing it. And I said, well, you know, maybe if you framed it a little bit differently, you talked about the fact that you know that those that there are three or four of those that really um, are core to the business and what they support, what aspects they keep up and running. And the fact that if they're out of warranty, now you're increasing the, the risk for those particular areas, especially of being hacked or something along those lines. Now you're communicating in a different way. You're talking about the business impact of it, not just the fact that we need to spend another you know, $100,000 or whatever <laughs> it was to, to buy new yeah. equipment. 
Yeah, because I, I think sometimes the argument is, well, look, we've been operating this way and things are okay and we've done, doing well and our business is growing. Why do you want me to spend more money? Everything seems fine at the moment. <laughs> but, but that's just it. You're not operating yeah. that level. Well, of course. So, so yeah. you may have been lucky that you haven't it? been hit yet, but your peers exactly. are being hit. And, and, and yeah. obviously something needs to change. And this is a great way. If you look, there are amazing tools out there that, that do phenomenal things. The, the biggest problem, if you look at what happened um, with the uh, Equifax breach, for example, yeah, yeah. read the, the U.S. House of Representatives report on it. They say that the biggest problem wasn't a lack of technology. It was a lack of oversight and governance. Right. And yeah. communications weren't proper within the organization. And that's what <laughs> led to a massive breach. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I read some of the other day that in um, uh, this maybe a US stat that quite a lot of uh, boards are taking the risk of cybersecurity as seriously as a global recession. It sounds to me like we're probably probably not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's funny that they are looking at things that way. When when a board assesses something like a, a recession, they're yeah. actually able to communicate. They they're able to it's tangible, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It's it's yeah. tangible and it's it's also they've they've actually learned something about the financial side and they've learned something about the geopolitical side of things that that come into play in all of that. When it comes to cybersecurity, they haven't done that. This so it's all new territory, about, isn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. We we talked yeah. about how the the technology people need to understand the board, but it goes both ways. The board actually needs to start understanding some of those technology things too. They don't need to become experts, but they do need to understand what's happening more than they do today. Yeah, because I think I, I, you know, I, one of the other challenges is uh, we see the tenure of CISOs is very, very short as well. And, I'm, uh, and I'm partly I suppose that's because if they're not managing to get their mind share they need from the board, they get frustrated. I mean, that's part of the problem as well, isn't it? Do you not think? Absolutely. So I, I I was just giving a presentation the other day, and and we talked about how the average CISO tenure is eighteen months to eighteen two years. months. Yeah. And by the time you basically have onboarded, gotten familiar with all the tools because everybody has different tools and everybody's set up differently. By the time you're done firefighting from the the interim between when the last person was there and when you're there, and now you start to learn the tools and you just get up to speed. That's when you get hired away or you get frustrated and want to leave or there's a massive breach and you're you're the one to blame, even though you haven't really been there long enough for it to have been your fault. You're still the one who's blamed it and you're kind of kicked out of the, the group. So no matter what it is, yeah, you're, you're just not there long enough to actually make effective changes. And we need to slow that down in the industry as well. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, 18 months is nothing. Um, it's such a short amount of time to be in that kind of a role. You've only just started to build the relationships that you need with the board, right? And, and, and that it takes that long to get them. And I think that it's, it's you've got to break it down and approach different different people in the board individually and understand their agendas in the process. I think that, that's a, that this is a quite a long process, right? Yeah, you have to realize that you don't have access to the board every day. Yeah, exactly. You're meeting them maybe quarterly if you're lucky. Maybe you'll get a little bit more, but but yeah. typically, especially a CISO on in today's organizations, are meeting with these folks at best once a quarter yeah. for just a couple hours at most. Yeah, if they're lucky enough to report directly into the board as well, because quite often you know there's other bits in the middle as well, isn't there? Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, really interesting, right? So, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was around, I mean, obviously GDPR has been uh, somewhat of a hot topic. And in fact, some people would view it as a swear word over here in Europe. Um, and there's, there's an equivalent, I believe, coming out in the US. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What, what does that mean? 
So the, there's the California uh, Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA. Okay. The yeah. CCPA uh, applies only to California residents or and, and companies that are that are collecting information about California residents, much like GDPR applies just to European residents. Um, it, it has a lot of a uh, analogs, or it, it's very analogous to GDPR in many ways. You have right, right to be forgotten. You have um, the right to understand what data people or, or companies are collecting about you and how they're using it. Uh, there is actually a, a little bit more onerous provision in there where you act, you can uh, companies have to allow you to uh, conspicuously allow you to click on a link on their website and get. Uh, yourself removed from their data sharing, and not only do they have to stop sharing, but the, those companies must also reach out to all the vendors that they've shared data with and tell them that hey, you have to stop using this person's information and stop sharing their information as well. So it's it's a pretty yeah. It, it, there are a lot of again similarities, and I think that companies that were set up to handle GDPR here in the U.S. Um, will be in good shape. But if you took the approach that GDPR doesn't apply to us, or I had seen some folks who kind of bifurcated their companies and said, okay, this is this when we're dealing with European people, we're going to handle it one way, and when we're dealing with U.S. or other, separate it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that's not going to work anymore. You really, uh, if if you took GDPR to heart and really did, made the changes that were necessary company wide, you'll be in good shape. If you didn't, you're going to be running through the same fire drill here in the U.S. Got it. What sort of implications is it going to have in terms of like, you know, I mean, obviously we've got the the, the fines here and, and what are the implications of of not being compliant for this one in the US? So there's there's still fines, but there there's actually the ability for individuals to bring suit and class action lawsuits. So in the, in the EU, you don't really have uh, direct individual access to an, an enforcement. Um, here in, in the U.S., you will be able to, in fact, like I said, you'll, you'll have, um, there's, there's a big chance that there will be class action suits. Um, there are fines that will, uh, the typical data breach uh, worldwide costs something like $140 per record. And, right. and in yeah. the U.S., it's like $250 per record. Yeah. The, the damages that are associated with this range from I think it's a hundred dollars up to seven hundred dollars per record can be um, can be thought from each individual so you're talking you know when when you have a lot of data uh, you go back to Equifax or the Marriott breach you know you're talking about lots and lots of costs you're you're at least doubling the cost in some cases possibly even tripling or, or quadrupling it so it's, wow. it's a big big change yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty major. That's that's going to create a whole new economy, isn't it? That I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. actually one of the the concerns. So the the California legislation is uh, there were meetings earlier this month in California, and there are mm. several more that are ongoing um, where the public gets a chance to talk to the legislators, talk through what issues they see because the CPA doesn't take effect until 2020, till January. 1st of 2020. And then there's a, a six month period where the regulators have to provide some feedback before it actually begins to be enforceable. Uh, and so that in right now, the, the California legislature is saying, well, we might want to modify the bill. So let tell us how we should how we should change the law. What what improvements can we make? Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that will be changing um, over the next several months or over the course of this, this next year. 
Right. Yeah. And it's really good. It's great to see this type of uh, protection, be, you know, becoming more widespread. I mean, India are introducing something similar to GDPR soon as well. And, was, and it's great to see all of this coming together. It means that we're finally getting to the point when people are actually taking data privacy seriously. Right. I mean, and, and it's long overdue. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm not a big government person in general, but I, but when you look at what people have done here and the way companies have behaved, it, it's just, I, I agree with you, it's long overdue. Yeah, yeah. Look, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. That's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, please subscribe to our podcast to, to um, review more of them in the future. So thank you very much, James. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for watching. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.